resort. Yeah. Drove over there, got checked for the car. Saw them car overnight. Overnight. Came Monday morning, went to Regents Bank, put the money in the bank to be a partner in this business, 25%. Wow. Yeah. Welcome to Owner's Table, where today we talk to Paul Shinar. Now, the interesting part about this podcast is we could have probably went on for three hours talking, but we stopped at a certain amount of time. But the interesting thing is Paul is a direct competitor to the company that I own here in Birmingham. So he has a meal prep business, and so do I, and we're really the only two people that compete in this space in Birmingham. But we talked about the immigrant lifestyle that he kind of grew up in and how he is. it has caused him to own multiple businesses. He owns real estate. He owns a gym. He, he, he's fascinating and now just he's just just grinded it out now he has a family and how that has changed and how he's shifted his day and how he's just being a great dad and how he used to go work you know 12 15 hours a day to he's not doing that anymore it's good it's a great episode and i know you're going to enjoy hearing how he's been on that journey all right so hey welcome to owner's table today so today we're talking to an interesting guest and so paul and i have known each other for a while, but the very, very interesting thing about Paul and I is we are direct competitors here in Birmingham. So there's really only two different companies in Birmingham that do meal prep. Yeah, to my knowledge. To yeah. my knowledge as well. So we own MealFit, he owns Fit5. The exact same business, but really, really different in a lot of ways as far as just the, the how we do things. Um, so that's who we're talking to today. So there's going to be a lot of morals in this story today. So Paul, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm so absolutely. glad to have you. So first question I always like to ask people is, so I know what you do. Okay. Okay. But why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it do? matter what you do? So I fell in love with the idea of how fitness and health changed people's lives. Mm-hmm. Started working out at Iron Tribe in 2007, eight, at the first location, the home. Okay, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, so I was there with right early on with all the initial guys that got it started. Yep. And I, for myself and the people there, I saw the change live. That marketing approach that they had at the yeah. time, which was, you know, that fitness changed everything for people. Health changed everything for people. It changed how they handled money. It changed their relationship. It helped their values it altered their medication, you know? So coming from the Middle Eastern culture, it's not very common to see people take care of themselves. No. Especially like the generation that just, you know, the the first generation that came to America from the Middle East. So I saw growing up, I saw family members having heart attacks in their forties. Wow. So, you know, you know, growing up, like now that I'm almost 40, I thought to myself, like, oh, oh my God, like I'm almost at that age of people that I saw having heart sure. attacks growing up. So I fell in love with health and wellness, fell in love with the idea that it, it changed you on all levels. And I'd owned a small business. So, you know, the, the, the entrepreneurship side of me started kicking in mm-hmm. and then that led me into the path now. So 2007, so let's go back. So we know you own the meal prep company. Um, so let's go back 2007 or even previous to that. What were you, let's do this, let's go back. Were you born here in the States? Born and raised, Birmingham. Born and raised in the States. Where are your folks from? My parents are from Jerusalem. Both parents are from Jerusalem. That's yep. great. So growing up, you grew up in Birmingham? I grew up in Birmingham, so, South Side. So tell me how that tell me that that journey of growing up, what the family life was like, what your parents were like. I'll give me that the background. That background? So uh, my dad came here nineteen sixty-seven. Uh, my mom came here nineteen seventy. I think my mom's from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Dad, his family came here. His dad came here first, my grandfather. 
came here to make a living for the family, send the money back home. Mm-hmm. The war happened 1967. All the Shinaras of what you know now yeah. started coming to America. So, okay, born and raised in Southside, uh, Glen Iris community right yeah. by UAB. Uh, we lived, the entire family lived on the same street. That's awesome. We lived right here. My dad's brother lived to the left and the other brother lived there. Sure. And then directly across the street, my dad's aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. So we all grew up on the same road. We, we played in the yard together, grew up, you know, playing basketball in the backyard with your cousins. So I guess the question that you get asked every day is how are you related <laughs> to the guy that's on every single billboard in the city of Birmingham, all the way up to Nashville, all the way down to the Panhandle? And, are you related and Georgia, to Georgia? Boston, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> how are you related to Alexander? He's Schnorr? my second cousin. Alexander Schnorr, second cousin. Yeah. Okay, getting that out, of, getting that out of the way. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so growing up there, what was life like? What did your dad do? Okay, so your parents didn't come to to hear it together. No, they no, met. they met here. They met so, in Baltimore. So, like, I don't know anybody from Jerusalem. Okay, like that's awesome. I didn't know anybody from there. So like they met here. Uh, what did they do for a living? And so what did you seek? So I was, you know, I was in a coaching family. So all I saw from okay. the time I was five was football. So what did you see growing up your parents doing? And then what did you gravitate to as far as just like the profession is concerned? Okay. So uh, most, when they got here, they didn't have an education. My dad didn't finish high school. Okay. My mom didn't go to college. Okay. So she got married at 18 and, and moved here from Baltimore. So we grew up where all of my family members were owning their own small business, grocery stores, car lots, car wash, car stereo, um, real estate. So I didn't even understand this idea of education really growing up. You know, I always joke that like at the dinner table, my dad, you know, when I was like ready to go into college, he's like, okay, what's that going to be like? Like, what does that mean? Are you going to be available to work for me? Wow. You know, because it, it was this, nobody was doing it. You know, we, we all bragged about the one cousin that went, which would be Alex, yeah. right? And more of the Shannara family that went into, you know, went in and got their degree, became accountants, lawyers. See, that's so funny because like, and I don't want to draw stereotypes, but I'm going to draw stereotypes. So in Middle Eastern, there's a lot of Middle Eastern culture that like college is ex- education is extremely important. It, it goes both ways. Yeah, so it's usually one side or the other, depending on how that that those parents were raised in Jerusalem or in anywhere in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, like, so that, for wasn't, example, dude, that wasn't very big for y'all. No, no, not at all. Didn't think I was going to go to college. All my friends were doing it. All your I all my friends. Say, were doing I hate to say this. All your white friends that all were my just, white friends were doing it. Yeah, they were all getting up, packing their bags, and going to Alabama and Auburn. And I went to, to my dad about wanting to go to Auburn. He says we can't afford it. Yeah, you know, you can go to school. Assuming one thing, you get a job and you can go down there. And he okay. suggested to me that I stay back for a semester. Sure. He said, just stay back, go to UAB. My grandmother lived in Southside. She still lived in the home that my dad and them came to when okay. they first got here. <sighs> yeah. Wow. Tell me how fun college yeah. was when you're living with yeah. your, your seven-year-old grandmother no that doesn't doubt. speak English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were at UAB. Doesn't just speak English. No, she spoke maybe 20 words. That's crazy. Which is how I got into meal prep. Yeah. That'll, that'll come later. But So I lived with my grandmother um, for my first semester cried every day to my parents about the fact that all my friends were having the time of their life down in Alabama or Auburn, mm. right? My dad would swear to me, look at the big picture, right? They're all possibly not going to graduate, possibly going to make their way back. You're going to create something for yourself while you're here. So I'm in my first semester at UAB and my dad brings an opportunity to me, which was he told me to go check my savings account, see how much I had in it, take the money out, bring it to him at the shop that he had at the time in Hoover. And that I was going to be a 10% owner of a stereo shop. So How we, much money did you have in your savings? 10000 
That's pretty good at senior in high school. Or yeah, freshman uh, our graduations, sure. everybody gives cash, just like our weddings. I'm sure you yep. heard the joke too. Yep. So Italians do the same yeah. thing, Greeks did say yeah. So I had, had a little bit, I worked for Corey Watson, one of the best law firms in, in Alabama. Um, here in Birmingham, Alex Shinara worked there too. Okay. So my cousins and I all worked as runners there. It's the only other job I'd ever had other than owning my own business. So you worked as a runner for this lawyer, and then dad says, come give me your money and you can be 10, uh, 10%, 10 owner. owner. And what was it now? It was called Appearance Car Audio. We did wheels, tires, window tent, stereo equipment on cars. That's yeah. awesome. And I loved it because I loved that industry. He was already in it. So I love the idea of like doing that stuff. Yeah. Pit my ride. You remember the TV yeah, show? Yeah, I know exactly. Ex yeah. Exhibit ran the Exhibit, show. yeah. Exactly. So I thought like, this is the coolest gig ever. I haven't said the name Exhibit probably in, in 15 years. Yeah, so, yeah. at least. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I so we had, so we, we started the shop with every bit of money I had, right? It took off. We were crushing it. So where was the, the shop? Downtown? On Green Springs. Oh, yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, um, we had the shop. I went to high school, a little backtrack. I, I went to high school at Vestavia, so it was just right down the road. So I had a lot of friends that you know helped us build it up because they were customers. Mm. Um, and we, we, had a, we had a killer base. We did some killer work, had some of the best employees, best installers. That was my first management operational at side 19. thing. At 19, yeah. That's incredible. You should see my notebooks from college. Oh I would, I'd sit in the middle of class and I'm in my business program at UAB. I graduated with an undergrad at UAB. and. Teachers got, you know, whatever it is on the board, and I'm out there with my notebook doing inventory. Pricing strategies. Okay, if I sell this speaker for 99 bucks and it costs me 55, this is my markup. Okay, but if I drop the price of the speaker, I could probably get them to buy the amp that goes with it. Mm. And I would just sit there and, and, and do this stuff. Just think of Just stuff. Google. Yeah, yeah. Just doodle, not yeah. Google. But just doodle in class. Wow. I was getting so much trouble in high school because that's what I was caught doing. And so, so when you did, so where did you transition from the car audio thing? Like you own this, so like ten percent owner—that's pretty good equity for a nineteen-year-old. So <laughs> yeah. Why did that? Where did that go? So I, I, I made, like you said, I made good money. Um, at the time, I was probably one of my only friends with money, and I lived with my grandmother, mm. so, so I had no bills. Expenses. Yeah, my dad told me, just let's just let's yeah. just run this business, take care of your grandmother. They had the fear of her falling. Sure. You know, so uh, they said. It's the whole culture of taking care of the elders. Taking care of the elders, yeah. 100%. It's a cultural thing, yeah. yeah. So he asked me to, you know, stay there and look out for her. Well, what I didn't enjoy at the time was being 18, 19, 20 years old and living the college life, but then going home to an elderly woman yeah. who didn't speak English. She was, you know, feeding me, taking care of me, making, you know, making my bed, making sure my clothes were out and so forth. What I felt, what was so great for me was she was cooking my meal prep for me. Yeah. So a funny story, she used to ask me every day what I wanted to eat. Every day I ate the same thing. Chicken, rice, and broccoli, or a burger patty with rice and broccoli. Breakfast was eggs, bread. So, why, so, so that's not normal for a college kid. So why did you want to tilt towards the, the, that's the traditional bodybuilder food? Like yeah. Extremely bland or extremely, not bland, but just extremely, just plain. Yeah. Why did you tilt towards that? Was it like, was, All the fitness, friends. was fitness still, was that a part of your life? That the was the, yeah, it was definitely a part of my life at the time. It was what I did at night. It was my out. It was my vice. So I used your to Your hobby was fitness. Yeah. My hobby was fitness or business. Yeah. So 6 a.m. I'm at my stereo shop. I'd meet my installer. We'd have breakfast at my uncle's restaurant right next door to the baskets. It used to be on Green Springs, wow. if you remember yeah. it. We'd have breakfast every morning there at 6 a.m. We worked Monday through Saturday. Um, Wake up, go there, go to work, leave work at about 10.30, drive to my grandmother's house, grab my bag, eat my lunch, run out to class, be at UAB till about one o'clock. 
I'd go back to the stereo shop, finished out my day, went to class from 4.30 to 7 at night, and then I went over to uh, AC Fitness, yeah, if you remember. I do. In Vestavia, that, mm-hmm. you know, that was a big gym at the time, Andrews. Yeah. So worked out there, then UAB my senior year built the, the new the facility, at the big rec center, so then I'd start working out there. What years were you there? Oh, let's see. I graduated from Stavey 03, so okay. 03 to 08. So we missed each other by a year. Just Yeah, just by a year or two. Okay, I was so, there right after Hackney. So Daryl and I played together for two years, and then when I left, Sam Hunt came in. Sam Hunt came in. Okay, so I went to school then with Dan Burks and Curtis Fellaini. That's who were with me. They yes. were a year above me. So I know Dan really, really well. Dan and I played together for a year or two years. Okay, so I thought you were out by then. My last season was 02. Was O two okay? So he was a freshman, yeah. And you were a senior. It may have been two years. I don't think, I don't think it was two years because I can't remember if Dan or Dan and Daryl came at the same time. Anyway, so you go, you're you do this for four. You do this for four years in the car shop. Yeah. Is your dad involved with this thing at all? He slowly walked out. Are you gaining equity at the time? Yep. Stayed at ten percent. Okay. So for everybody, you know out my there, dad yet? Huh? What now? Do you know my dad yet? What? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I only got 10%. So, so, so this is something I, I feel I need to stop and, and, and explain sometimes. So when he talks about equity, he gave $10,000 to own 10% of the company, which that gives the company an evaluation of 100, 100 grand. Dad either felt like that was a number he pulled out of his butt or- That's he what he thought like, it'd take to fix it up. What he taught it'd take. So he taught, would take 100,000, it'd be worth $100,000. Right. So. So you're building this thing as you go, okay? He's, he's slowly backing out of it. He slowly started focusing more on real estate and he let me okay. run it day to day. So he stepped out probably when I was probably a couple years in. He stepped out, me and my cousin George and my cousin Issa, we ran it day to day. So when you're saying a couple years, you're, you're still a sophomore in college. I fired my first employee before I was 21. Wow. Yeah. One of the hardest things I've ever had. Oh to yeah, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. So you start doing this, do this the whole time through college. Whole time and then college. where do we go? So then in, uh, let's see, so 08, 09, um, went through a real bad breakup, you know, as you, you think at the time when you're in college. Yeah. Went through a real bad breakup, was going out a lot around town, met a lot of people and decided I wanted to own a bar. I'd made good so money. So you're 23, 24. 23. 23 years old. 23 years old when I signed Okay, so you're, you still are on the car shop the car shop what do you yep. do from how, how does so, how do you transition to doing that so i had the car shop and then as i had the car shop uh i started looking around for to open a restaurant and bar around town visited different places that were available uh, i had this idea at the beginning like a miami style you know urban bar that yeah. played good music whatever slowly figured out real quickly like that wasn't going to work in birmingham and we came up with a neighborhood grill idea just opening up a little neighborhood spot so i got into food not by accident but kind of by default and obviously it was through fitness so how did you go from car stereos to hey i want to own a restaurant because <laughs> that's why little, right? yeah and why well in people's defense that open restaurants they don't under, they don't know restaurants unless they've been in them because restaurants are extremely difficult biggest mistake i made was not working for one before i opened the three four years of mistakes and mm-hmm. money lost that that's was good say, biggest mistake i ever made Wow. So if you, so if you're somebody out there that wants to own a restaurant, go serve, go bartend, go book, do everything, go work, go work every aspect. It work back at the house, clean the dishes, figure it all out. Because my employees were able to take advantage of me for the first three or four years, they were able to tell me, "Oh yeah, you know, this is how you do it." No, because they that saw was, somebody because that was better for them. Sure. This is how you should schedule because mm-hmm. it worked in their favor. How do you tell a cook that that's not right if you didn't know how to? Cook you never done it before. You never done it before. 
keep in mind, I was 23, 24. Yeah. So they're like, this kid doesn't know what he's doing. Second employee I ever fired was, was like my first year in was my chef at the restaurant. Wow. And his exact words to me, one of the reasons why I let him go was he was, <laughs> buddy, you, you're never going to make it in this industry. That was a conversation That's that what he, he said. Had. Yeah. Wow. See, when we started doing actual food, it was just me. But I did not start a restaurant. I was doing meal prep out of a guy's kitchen. And For I, your friends. Yeah. Had eight, eight meal prep people the first time we did it. You'll, you'll love this. <laughs> and you thought you were so, onto something. Yeah. You, so, well, but I also had, I also had the meal planning part of it. Okay. So, we so the meal planning first. Now, let me say this. The meal planning part of it was carrying everything. It was interesting. No, so this is back in 2011, 2012, 2013. Nutrition so was starting to gain weight. It was weight. starting to, CrossFit was getting big, nutrition, paleo, all that. And so zone, paleo. Yeah. So we had a zone menu. Okay. Yeah. Back when no one does zone anymore. No. So yeah. we had zone. <clears throat> but we did, when I was working at the church, the first year, when I just randomly did meal plans, I made $8,000 the first year. The second year, doing jotting down and emailing somebody what to that's eat. it. Did you keep them accountable? No. It was strictly just here's what Bro, you do. Bro, it was the same menu. To each person. Everybody got the same menu. Hmm. The second year, we made 80. Just doing meal plans. So I'm assuming from there, somebody says, well, can now can you cook it for me? That's it. So all the hot moms in Cookful were like, hey, I'm not going to buy your meal plan, but if you made the food, I would buy it. And so I would... I would do the meal plan. Then the next week, I would make that some of that food for them, and that would be meal prep. So where where you and I are different is I make something made something different every week because I thought like people wanted variety. But what we did that was wrong on the front end is I made everything family style. So you got a half pan, and it was protein, vegetables, and starch. It was all in the same. Pan. You covered the macros, but you did it family Bro, style. Bro, we didn't even do macros. My, that, I remember that. My thing was not macros. My thing was... Better for you. I want to make your life easier and healthier. Smart. And I've always thought, and I still believe this, if you can just eat real food, you will be fine. Stop overcomplicating it. Don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. If you can just eat real food. What is real food? If you can eat ingredients with one... If you eat food items with one ingredient... Right. You are going to be shop the outside aisles of the grocery the whole, store. That whole theory. And we've not varied from that a bunch, but we've... You've had some fun. You threw some things in. But we've pivoted a lot as far as... Because we were doing half pants. That was it. That was no prep. Ashimac style. That, that's that's their, right. Their uh, what's the girl in Trustful? Um, Mills by Misty. Mills by Misty. Yeah. That thought. Now, it wasn't frozen. It was always... You always picked it up. But like, that's what Which we was probably the difference maker. Right? Sure. And we, we did that for a long time. And then we pivoted... All that individualized meals. meals we did but we didn't do that so you had no chef background zero you just but they for, said cook this and you said i know what this is but I can for do two it. years though paul i did the meal the meal plans for people so you've so here's what happened the meal plans went out on friday so what did we do saturday to thursday you say we me and my family i made that for dinner for my family okay. and sometimes it sucked it was bad. My, my wife's like, this is freaking horrible. <laughs> and so we obviously didn't put that on the menu. And so I would make it that week, do the ingredients, put it in the email, 
And that was that was the meal plan that week. So what you got on Friday, I ate the five days previous. So I cooked so much for two years. I cooked all the time. And then when we pivoted and started doing meal prep, I didn't have a food background. But here's what I tell people all the time, and you will probably agree with this because you don't have a food background either. It was if you have businesses in my blood. If you have common sense and you can read a recipe, you can cook. Right. I actually find it funny now when people like struggle with the cooking side of things because I'm like, Do you, we have YouTube, we have Pinterest. Like, yeah. It's all there in front of you. I grew up when you had to tell, ask your friend in the gym, what are you eating? How are you cooking? We How got, you batch, what's yeah, batch cooking? We got all these things. So YouTube wasn't even a thing back when I was doing it. No, no, yeah, 12. definitely wasn't. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of the way we did it. So, so getting back to you, so you go and open this restaurant. And so you're working this thing. So if you're, when you're doing restaurant, you're also doing car at the same time? Oh, yeah. Doing both. both. Yeah. So my best friend and I and my brother-in-law, th- this idea of owning the restaurant, the bar, was we just were having fun going out in the city. And the boom of the new restaurant scene was happening. Sure. Right? Yeah. So we, we timed it in one way. Um, what happened, what led me to where we opened it, Dowd off Lakeshore, because everybody thought it was crazy. I opened it in the middle of nowhere at the time. At now the time. It's, yeah, now it's got everything it needs out there, yeah. right? There's a Publix. There's the, you got Robert Trent Jones, which was out there anyways, but Ross Bridge. Well, that was in a road when I was a kid. So yeah, I used to go was, from uh, Bessemer to, to Wildwood. Remember Wildwood? Oh, yeah. Going to the movies at Wildwood. I went to Bessemer Wildwood. There was not a, it was one single lane road going through there. Well, you know what they did there in the early 2000s? It's Fast and Furious. That was the road people raced on. I was going. They got in all that trouble in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. That's what people did wow. there. Wow. Yeah, so we, I mean, we, the cars we'd fix up, we'd be putting exhaust pipes for people to put down there. And race. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you got the restaurant with, your, with some family to go with back to family, the, so. the immigrant lifestyle thought process. Yeah. And then you also... Because my dad at this point had opened multiple businesses. He'd gotten into real estate. And so just learning from him. I mean, anybody in my family member, uh, my cousin Z, I got to brag about him for a second. This was my dad's business partner at one of his other stereo shops. And we'd go play golf together and we didn't have golf talk. We had business talk. Business talk. And I'm I'm 12, 13, 14 years old at the time Mm. when he'd take me out to golfing. And it was, you know, percentage of sales, um, how to market, how to manage, how to finance. What people were learning in college, I was touching and getting people's input early on. Yeah. And so when you when you grow up in our family, it's in your blood. It's just what you get spoken. It's to. what you hear all the time. It's what you hear all the time. So our, all our I heard was football. All you heard was football and coaching. That's all I heard. Because from the time I was five, I knew that's what I was going to do. Be a coach. That's it. See, mine I, was buy and sell. See, I was I, ever taught the word buy and sell. No clue. Zero clue. So this is why, like, it's so odd. My mom looks at me, and she looked at me the other day. She says, I have no idea how you've done what you've done. Because both parents were school teachers. Dad was a football coach, and that's all we, that's all we did. So Paul. coaching, I guess, led you to your understanding of management. I tell people this all the time. The 10 years I spent coaching college football, the number of lessons I learned there are astronomical. I can get in front of a crowd of any number and give a presentation off the cuff. I can talk about anything. I can walk into any room and meet people, meet strangers, because I had to do it twice a year recruiting. I had to go into a high school, find Coach, find coach Jones, who'd never met me before. Hey, Coach, how are you? Good to see you. And I had to make him like me. I had to do this with kids. I had to do this with parents. And I had to stand up in front of a room every day and convince 15 300-pound linemen that I knew what I was talking about. And I had to communicate and to them. And protect you. Yeah, and I had to communicate. Well, no, as a coach, I had to communicate to them what to do. So I had to learn in the morning 
stand up every day in, a, in, a, in an offensive line meeting, coach those kids and teach those kids, and then go out and apply it every day. What age group was this? this college, when I was coaching college. This was college. Yeah, so I was coaching college kids, and so like... A tough to, age to, be in, to, um, to first be adapted to? It's all about the kid that you recruit. So that's why the recruiting process is so important, because you are going to spend so much time with those kids, especially if I recruit an offensive lineman and I was going to coach him for four years. So like the type of kids that you had, you had to, you had to sit there and go, okay, this guy's a heck of a player, but he's a royal turd. I don't want to spend four years with this guy. Or this guy's so good, I think I can handle the fact that he's a turd. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what you had to do. But the lessons I learned during coaching is what led you down. Is what it, it, it gave me the soft skills to be able to, to, to make it in business because there's so many soft skills in business of meeting people, talking to people. You and I could walk into any bar in Birmingham and in two hours we'd have five friends. Right. Both of us. Because we both have got those skills. I learned mine coaching. You learned yours doing business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you, you're in, in the restaurant business and you're doing the car audio. Where do you transition from there as far as the next business? Do you sell one? Do you, what, what are we doing there? Okay. So uh, the restaurant was, you know, you asked, like, did I have a background in cooking? Yeah. No. Uh, the culture does in so many ways, right? Like, sure. You know, um, but... It was, I fell in love with the speed of it. I fell in love with the idea of okay. cooking and enjoyment and you know, having people in. So I opened a bar and grill um, over time, 2009. Now, was it a spot, was it an existing spot? Because Luke and I talk ground. about this all the time. Was it an existing spot or did, 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 it did not exist? There was gravel floor in the, in the okay, building. Okay, perfect. The way I was able to do it at a young age was the landlord was willing to take a chance. The shopping center was vacant. There was nothing out there yet at this time on Lakeshore. There was only one apartment complex, still no gas stations even at that time. Wow. The only thing there was all the offices all across the street, train, sure. Cook's Pest Control, yeah. Hibbit Sports. I know where they are. Yeah. yeah. So they were all, all across the street. And so he told me, look, there's a lunch business out here that can guarantee you, I, you probably stay alive. What's going to define whether or not you make money is your nighttime business. So we were like, bar. Bars keep people mm. at night. 24-year-old mindset. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah, bottle of beer, you know. Go to the gas station, get a six pack for seven bucks, and they sell three, four dollars at the at a bar. Sure. God, look at that money. Look at that margin. Yeah, tons you know, of margin. You're just going to print it. That was yeah. the mindset, right? So we built out the bar, opened up. Um, all my friends and family started. They kept us going, right? They were the reason why I was able to sustain six months, eight months, because there's still nothing out there. They're all coming to support. They're all cutting the sport, right? Biggest lesson I had to learn was. Your friends and family can only get you so far in business. Sure. If your friends now tell you, you know, you're a great writer, go out and write a book, probably don't listen to them. Yeah. Because they're not going to be the ones that keep you. They're not going to be the ones that buy the book. They're not going to buy so many copies. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't tell you a fit, how many Fit Five customers or friends and family at this point, right? Yeah. So had the restaurant, uh, went through several obstacles with it. So one was operating both companies, a booming stereo shop and a up and coming, trying to grow a bar, mm. right? Um, couple things that changed it for me. My dad came to me after a couple of years in and was like, "This, you, you got to cut the fun, right? You owe me so much money for building this out. You put up a lot of money yourself. You've been working your butt off. Had you, you paid him back anything at the time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't able to miss a single payment. He wouldn't let me. Wow. $4,000 a month. How long did he finance that for? 48 months. And okay. I was hoping the last check that I took him, I was hoping he'd let me keep. He wouldn't. 
took it from me. Wow. He wanted to teach me the lessons. A bank won't. A bank won't. No, a bank's that. not going to do that. Yeah. Okay. So you borrowed money. So you are you the only owner in the in overtime? No. Nope. So he was a partner. He kept Your a little bit was. of equity, um, and then my brother-in-law. So what did, did he put up any money? He did. Yeah. So he okay. put up a little bit too. So you put up some. He put up some. Dad put up some. Dad what was the up. What was the split as far as equity is concerned? Uh, so it was. Uh, me and my brother-in-law were 40-40, and then my dad was 20. 20. So how it, even, how it all even came to evolve to have my dad involved was I thought that you could build this bar for 100 grand, and I had 80. Mm. I thought I could put up the money myself. Money started dwindling, yeah. and I didn't have a restaurant yet. A kitchen, you know, is 100K. Oh, a kitchen. When I was <laughs> leaving Cookville, the, the cr- place across the street was building a nice restaurant. The kitchen was 140 grand. Yeah. And, and now you and know, it had a building. I was going to say, and now, you know, like, you know, that won't get you anywhere. Either. No. But like the, the POS system that we had, restaurant manager, yeah. I think that tied in with the cameras was like 18K. Well, now it's an iPad. Now it's a square system. So, mm. but, so yeah, so I ran out of money, went to my dad. It's like, hey. Okay. So you ran out of money, like to, your dad didn't give money initially. Nope. I was going to do it all myself. Oh, okay. So 23 year old mindset. So he gave you some money, and then and then we finished it out. Did you had to give him? He had to give you some equity. He had to, get, had to give him some equity, and then pay him back with interest. Fixed payment, four thousand dollars a month. So I paid him off with right. a ten percent. Mm, okay, built into it. So yeah, so we had, so we got it going. He came, had that conversation with me. Said, "Hey, let's make this thing work, right? Or let's get rid of it. You don't need to be working 60, 70 hours a week and making no money. And I mean making no money. I mean I don't think I took a paycheck." No. I might have took a couple hundred bucks here and there, yeah. or I'd have to bartend. Mm. So when people thought, like, well, what's the owner doing bartending? Well, the owner needed money. The owner needed money. Right. Needed the tips. I needed the tips. I needed cash, too. Right. The only thing that saved me was that I had lived with my grandmother for so long. That's the thing that kept me. And then my, I had my payroll from my other company. Let me say this. So I told, I've told kids this. I say kids. Anybody in their 20s. So what m- helped me financially so much is when I graduated from college, I lived with my dad for two years. Something that most people weren't willing to do. They're not willing to do it because it's like a step back. Or like, but I made thirty thirty five thousand dollars a year teaching high school, and then I'll clean buildings at night. I didn't have any expenses, and so I that just money was going in the bank. Socked it away, and so when we transitioned into a new life, I had a cushion there, and that cushion stayed with me because I didn't have to touch it as we had made more money, and so when I decided. I mean, this is crazy, Paul, but t- 10 years after, when I decided to transition out of college coaching, I had that money that had just kept growing steadily that was in the market or whatever. You just weren't even paying attention. You just weren't even paying attention to it because I saved so much in those two years, but that's exactly what you did. Yeah. People yeah. aren't willing to do that. And I, I tell people- I didn't have to cook my food. My grandmother had it. That's nuts. That's great though. No power bill. Yeah. You so, know. So you, in restaurant, dad gives you the extra money. Y'all get it. Get it. What, what made it start going? So uh, I, I like to thank it to this. So one couple car apartment complexes came. Absolutely. In the area. So it was a luck opportunity that fell into my lap where these apartment complexes were coming. Construction workers were piling in. So my bar business started booming. Okay. Okay. But my lunch business wasn't there. Okay. So I... Uh, I love marketing, always have my degrees in marketing. So I started doing a little bit of background research of the restaurant industry. And I, I came across the idea that what we were struggling with was that we were called a bar, overtime bar and grill. Okay. The sign on the wall said bar. The girls wear shirts that said bar. Your ticket when you checked out said bar. Okay. We rebranded. 
change the name to Overtime Grill. Okay, so let's go back. What made you transition to change? What was the thing that said, we got to change? My dad noticed that financially, month over month, year over year, he'd say, okay, yeah, you've grown 10%, but your cost of business has grown by 9%. Mm. You're only yielding an additional 1% per year. What are we doing here? Sure. Because he looked at me as like, Obviously, being his son, he looked and said, man, I just don't like seeing you burn yourself out. This is what we did when we came to America. We worked 60, 70 hours a week, so you don't have to. Yeah. There's got to be something better for you. The lesson, one of the lessons is this, is he was extreme. You were emotional about the thing. And he was. He was not emotional about the thing. He looked at the numbers. And the numbers don't lie. And that's his, that's his quote to today. And that's, I think, I mean, it's super, and you should be, I know you are, extremely thankful for like having him say, hey, bro, this is what this is. So he was the catalyst to telling you that? Yeah. I should be on here. Reality is he's <laughs> talking to him. Go on. If my dad, yeah. If my yeah. dad could do it, my dad needs to be in all the media publications around town. So- so what did he say? What was the thing that he said that, to make you change the name? Every time that I was sit, well, just every every weekend when we hang out, every you know lunch we have, it would be the same conversation. Boo, what are you doing? Mm. You own a bar. Yeah. At this point, now I'm 26, 27. He's yeah. like, you know, in our culture, people marry early, right? So he's mm. like, maybe this is a problem. Yeah. You know, we don't see you at church. Wow. Because you're tired. How could you be at church? You own a bar. You're out late night on Saturdays. Yeah. Right. So. He basically brings up to me, you know, financially, this just didn't make any sense. We were making money over here at the stereo shop. I, real estate wise, I was on my second home purchase. And he's like, man, let's just, let's just sell this thing and you come with me. Let's go build more, let's go build up more properties. Mm. And so changing the name turned it around. It, it was this craziest thing. As the apartment complexes got up, we started having, like, so we started having trivia night instead of dollar beer night. Trivia night brought in people to eat dinner, spend money on food um, versus the bar business is as much margins as people think. You know, people are blowing up, going crazy now that there's 10, 12, 13 dollar drinks at some of these famous popular bars downtown. They're still not just banking it. Yeah. Right. They're still some of them are probably barely covering at that. Sure. You know, the margins are just as not as good as people think when you count in labor and all the fixed costs you have. So. So he discusses that with me. We spent three or four months changing. We painted the place. We brought in boots. And I did all this myself, right? I couldn't get the money from him. No. There's no way. He would, he would go, more money? You need more money to do this new idea that you think is going to fix this thing? Yeah. So I had to finance it all myself. Credit cards, sell cars, everything from what I had at home, get rid of. Did you have anything in savings that would have bailed you out of something if you needed to? And sometimes I did. Sometimes throughout the year, I'd have ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in the bank. Sometimes at the end of the year, I'd have five thousand dollars in the wow. bank. Wow. Okay. Depends so, on how business was going. So, as we were talking off camera, you talked about the two things that blew my mind: that changing the name from Overtime Bar and Grill to Overtime is it Cat's Cafe? Overtime Grill. Overtime Grill. The two things you talked about: parents, parents, and you in. talked about businesses. Yeah. So kind of unpack that for us a little bit, because my mind was blown when you said that, because that's when you said the business just ex, not exploded, but you said it. Oh, just, my lunch business was we, we turned the tables twice in two hours. Wow. So go ahead Seven, and explain, explain those two things that just opened my eyes. So by by changing the name, the first thing was uh, your your credit card. So if you had a company credit card and you were allowed to eat out 
or you're allowed to take me out to lunch, your company would not allow you to take you to a bar. Right. That's crazy. And that's and a lot of people don't understand this, but they can't a company can't be liable for you and I drinking together. Sure. But a company can be liable for you now to go to have a burger. So I lost the ability. So if all these people that worked across from me wanted to take an employee out, a salesman out, a, somebody from out of town out for lunch, they had to leave and go down to McAllister's. They can go to Hooters, but they couldn't come to Paul's place. Mm. Hooters was like a mile down the road. Yeah, sure. So everybody, so I, I lost that lunch business. So we pivoted that. We put weekly specials on the table. Okay. We started doing a little bit more home cooking, shrimp and grits, pasta. Sure. We got a little bit away from the bar food. So instead of it just being wings, burgers, sandwiches, we started having more where if you were sitting across the street, you can get like a plated lunch. Yeah. You know, kept it affordable. Um, so, yeah, so that was a couple of things. Uh, built out a big patio, upgraded the TV so that we can increase the sports environment, uh, made NFL Sunday a big thing, had a you know, we hosted birthday parties. My cousins will joke to you today that I'd go around town and be like, Thomas, when's your birthday? Yeah. You know, and you'd, you'd say, and be like, okay, you ought, to, you ought to throw a party over it over time. And then, you know, I may or may not be there. That's awesome. <laughs> Just to get it crowded. That's incredible. Yeah. So you start doing that. That starts making, you start, do you start making money at this I started point? able to pay myself. Okay. That was it. Still not making how long into the How long into owning it did you start, did you make this change and start being able to pay yourself? About year five. Year five. By year three, you know the statistic. Yeah. By year, was it year, year three, 90% or 80% don't, don't, don't make, make it. it. And by year four, those the 90% of those don't make it. Don't make it, yeah. So the fact that you're still in business is, is, astro- is, is wonderful. Yeah. So Good team. you start to grow, and then where do you transition to from there as you're, as you're, as you're being able to pay yourself? So as I'm able to pay myself, um, I had an opportunity. So I was doing CrossFit at Iron Tribe. Okay. Hurt my shoulder. Started doing therapy at D1. Okay. Okay. Great gym. Great gym, yeah. As I'm doing my therapy on my shoulder, the guy mentions to me, what are you going to do when it comes to fitness? You obviously can't go back to CrossFit. I said, I've always wanted to box. I've always wanted to kickbox, but I don't want to fight. Okay. And he goes, oh, you ought to go see Master Sherem. He does this workout in a basement in a house in Cabo Heights with his brother-in-law, Aaron Crocker. And Aaron was one of the Crocker original. moving? No, no, he's like, okay. no, no. Aaron okay. Crocker was at uh, Iron Tribe okay. early on. So he says, they, they do this workout in the basement. Huh. Okay. Come to find out, David and Aaron were eating lunch at my uncle's restaurant. And one of my best employees, her name was Rose. Rose had been working for us for years. Rose said, Paul, you need to meet these guys. They come into the restaurant and they're working on this business called The Gauntlet. It's going to be a kickboxing gym, da, 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 da. They're doing it out of the basement of home. I'm like, I've heard about this guy. I heard he does it in Cabo Heights. Yeah. I go and visit Master Sherub. He pulls out a projector screen and pitches me this idea of a gym called The Gauntlet. And I fell in love with it. It, was, it had everything that I was already in love with with health and wellness. Because during, during the bar, during my later years of it, after year four and five, I, I, got really, I got back into fitness and I started using the bar to make my meals. And then I started working out at the Rossbridge gym right down the road. So I would actually leave the bar eight, nine o'clock at night and go work out. Oh my gosh. I get texts from my buddies. Hey, come back down. I'm like, nah, man, I'm here. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm working okay. out. So I, uh, I, I meet with them and they said, here's the problem. They said, we got to open this place up. We, we, or we have to at least sign the lease within the next three weeks. And we need some money. They needed, uh, right at 200K, one of the partners already had 50. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. So I had a little bit of cash. Okay. And I was driving a Mercedes S550. Okay, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna ask this question. Why were you driving an S550? 
young, had the, had the stereo business. I, I had stopped driving a nicer car for a while while I was getting the restaurant going. But I grew up on that at the stereo shop, all the owners and the employees had cool cars. So it was almost like a quote unquote expense for you. Yeah, you rationalize it that it, way. Yeah, yeah. It had the wheels, the tires, the stereo shop. Wow. It was full work, right? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, so you have a little money, and then you have this nice. I mean, probably eighty hundred thousand dollar car. Well, no, it was used. You know, probably forty five, fifty. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what? So then what happened? So I I uh, I go out that night, and it, so I met David on a Friday. I met him at the building, saw it, went over the business plan, fell in love with it. In said, Homewood. In Homewood. Yeah. And said, I can get you the money. Right. So I called a guy that I knew. A uh, German friend of mine that was looking to build a second overtime. And I said, hey, we need to pivot. I'm going to get into this gym. You want to get in? He says, yeah, man. I'm all in on whatever you're doing. Relationships. Relationships. <laughs> people. Right? And how I knew him was from the bar. From the bar. Just hung out together. Restaurant. Excuse me. Restaurant. restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Change gears here. So then uh, I, I'm going out that night to go to Tin Roof. And a buddy of mine was a security guard there. And he said, man, I love your car. I pulled up right in front of it. I said, yeah, I got to sell the thing. He said, why? I said, I'm, I'm going to invest in this business. I need, it's paid for. I need to get the cash back out. We went to the Birmingham police station the very next day. And then we drove over to Birmingham. I think the police station has like a credit union or some sort. Yeah. Drove over there, got checked for the car. Sold them the car overnight. Overnight. Came Monday morning, went to Regents Bank, put the money in the bank to be a partner in this business. 25%. Wow. Yeah. So you still bought in at 25%. My other buddy bought in 25. Okay. 25 and 25. And the other guys. Yeah. Okay, so where did, how did it, so this is still going. I mean, this, what year was this? What year was this? 2010, 11, 12? Yeah, 2011. I had no idea you'd had that gym that long. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so. so all under 30. So all, so you own three businesses under, under 30, 30 years old. You are, have the restaurant, it's got going back on its feet. It's your pay, it's paying. Operating itself at this point. So you bought this gym. So I Then this what? Oh, man. So it didn't work. The first gym didn't work. The first partnerships didn't work. Okay. So out of the four of us, we dwindled to two within two years. Um, Did y'all have a gym period? Barely. Okay. What'd about you do? 30 members. Okay. So we had a lot of things go wrong. We, um, we overspent at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So uh, buying stuff, buying the book. buying stuff. Yeah. 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 Spending too much. Just sure. Unnecessary. You know, the, the performer for the business allocated so much money to certain things that we we, we didn't we didn't we didn't go up. to it yeah. okay so my partner the uh, German guy he left he had he wanted nothing to do with it said this was a bad idea from day one didn't okay so let's talk through this because a lot of people don't understand this in that the German guy we'll just call him German guy the German guy that gave you fifty grand Dave how much you fifty grand, 50 grand. Yeah. he gave you fifty thousand dollars in that investment when the gym failed and he's out he didn't get any money back did he nope. It's just a lost, lost investment. It's okay. a lost investment. All right. So what, what would he get? There was nothing to get. No, no doubt. So we, keep going. we owed on rent. We owed on insurance. So I wasn't there. I was strictly an investor. I'm over at the restaurant. I started getting phone calls about how it was going. Mm. So at the time, I wasn't a personal trainer or anything. Yeah. I just went to the class. Now here's the I money go. Here's Y'all got go. it. Yeah. Master Sensei or whatever. This is what my dad was doing. This is what the family was doing. You're we were investing in The whole Robert point. Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you're the, in the investor quadrant. Oh, that's it. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so the, so you didn't buy a job. You were being an investor. Great. So they, they run they run the business. I say run the business in the ground. It didn't survive. It didn't survive. Then yeah. what? Because it's uh, so what happened was we got the one out. We got the other one out, and then uh, myself and David Master Sharem, we sat down and looked at each other, and we realized we it wasn't. We were only, at this point. We had a beautiful building. We had everything we needed. We just needed to catch up on rent. We needed to pay off the insurance company. 
And just because you didn't open, just back insurance payments. We, we, yeah, we, it was literally canceled. Mm. Shannon Walchek calls us up, you know, hey, you got, you're going to have to start picking it, figuring out how we're going to get this money on this rent. Wow. These are the stories people don't understand about small business. Like, I'm going to they sleep don't. at night knowing, like, I owe $7,000 tomorrow. Where do you mm. just wake up and get that kind of money? You know? Yeah. So, anyways, we, we, we sat together and we said, look, I, he said to me, do you still think this is where I said, I never thought it wasn't. We just, the partnership was not good. We didn't have a good standing and yeah. we did not build it on a good foundation. We all didn't trust each other at the very beginning and look where the money went. So let's sit down and let's, let's, let's go over this. Thing. At this point I had successfully ran two businesses. So in my head. Key, successfully ran two businesses. Right. That's the thing that I think people don't understand is, is you're probably built like an operator. Do you think that? I think that all day long, right? Like I go into a place and my brain works a certain way. How many tables and chairs fit in the building? So you were an investor. Now you and Master Sherman sit down and, and say, say let's, let's operate it together. Okay. Help me out here. Yeah. So we only had a few classes. So we did so many things. We brought in new trainers, uh, the who, not how idea, right? Like, yeah. So we went from us teaching every class to let's bring in the right people to teach the class. Uh, changed up the workouts. Um, had more fun, themed the classes, right? 90s night, all that stuff. Built it back up. Got it to where we were uh, sold out. We had no more space in the space that we were in. We were very small, but it was like 2,200 square feet. It was right on the corner of 280. And so David and I, once again, had to look at each other and say, what are we going to do here? What's next? Right, what's next? We can only fit in 14, 15 per class, and every class was sold out. We had five to six classes. A That's day. incredible. Yeah, it was a, a hell of a turnaround. An even better turnaround comes later. Were you so, making any money? We were paying ourselves. Okay, great. In, in small business, sometimes that is making money. You no, know, it, it is. More than people it, think. It, it is. It's, I mean, for sure. If you're paying yourself, like I know a girl that owns a restaurant here in town. She's owned it for since 20, late 2020, early 2021. She's yet to pay herself. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard multiple stories like that. So, okay, I'm sorry. So go ahead. And so you're paying it. yourselves. So, yeah, we're paying ourselves. Very nominal. Yeah. Just to, just to teach class, right? Uh, my business partner puts up his land. He had he had inherited some land from his dad, and um, my business partner, keep in mind, today is seventy two years old. At the time, was in his sixties. So you got a six year old and a thirty year old, right? Oh, man, yeah. So you know Ari, who yeah. you know, uh, Ari Hobson Ray. Yeah. So you, you got Ari coming and sitting. She was our marketing company. She's sitting with Paul and she's sitting with David, and she's trying to say, okay, guys, yeah. you know, we really need to clean this up. Can can you two see this? And David, this is where he was amazing. David was a minister. And David was a music teacher and he was in the military. So David basically says, you guys are the young ones. You guys, sure. you, you tell me what to do and we'll do it. Yeah. And so we, we rebranded. We got away from the fight look that we had and went very, much softer. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when we changed the logo. Once yeah. again, to the overtime thing, rebranded, kind of right. cleaned it up. And so a building came available for us. A block over, it was a warehouse that done construction. Yeah, owns. I know exactly um, That building was 3,000 square feet with an additional adjacent building that was like another 1500 square feet and so we worked out a deal to get out of our lease physical therapy studio came in at therapy south okay we packed up our bags you were at the physical where the physical therapy is, is that, i know exactly where it is okay so our, the building was perfect i remember there i remember that location because i remember driving by driving by there killer location yeah we did super small though. super small what we didn't realize was that by moving into the warehouse down the road we we didn't realize how many people had that, that that I drove by you. I at least know what you are. Once we moved, we lost all of that. I've been driving by for two years. I want to check this thing out. We lost all that. We didn't. We had to spend so much more money marketing 
because we were in an alleyway. Mm. And it was 200 yards. That's it. Right behind Stryker. Yeah, I know exactly. Behind the new little donkey and all that. Yeah. So David and myself, um, I had just sold my restaurant, okay? And well, I guess we got to take, take, take a step back. Let's bring in Fit Five. Okay. Okay. So as you probably know, right, one of the biggest obstacles that gyms have is that the employee or that the, the clients, they learn the workout, they do the workout, they show up, but they don't know what to do. With don't they don't have the nutrition dialed in. So we found this girl that was cooking um, and delivering food to, to your business. So we all at the gym, about eight or 10 of us was using this lady out of a restaurant downtown. And she was literally bringing us bag lunches. Who was it? Uh, I can't remember her name at the okay. time. Not important. The, the problem with it was, was it was, it wasn't macro. Okay, it wasn't on the like the training level of food. Okay, it wasn't so, high calories. It wasn't high protein. It was just that she cooked for you. So let's go back to this. Let's talk about philosophically. You you've mentioned this a couple times in our conversation. You are a macro guy as far as this much protein. You won't think that that's extremely important. Correct. I think it's best for you to understand macros at least at the beginning, so you know where things come from. Okay. But good the point. struggle that I see with people now is like you say, "Hey, I want you to do high protein." Well, well what, where do I start? What is high? Do I eat chicken all day? Yeah. No. There's other things, right? How often? How much? Where are you getting it from? Yeah. yeah how big are you? Or how big? Are you? What's yeah. your activity? All this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't think that you. I don't think you weigh everything for the next twenty years. I, I believe in eighty twenty, right? Some of you said yeah. earlier, just. Shopping the outside aisles, eating Whole Foods. Yeah. But um, so we were using this girl, and uh, I, I myself noticed, like, well, I'm not full, and I'm the smallest guy in here. So I started cooking meals out of overtime. Somebody had said but cooking to me, meals for who? The people in the gym. People for the gym. Yeah, my my own employees, clients. So it, it was so funny because so many people had said this to me. They're like, Paul, you own a restaurant. Like, why are you teaching us how to do this stuff? Just make it for us. And in my head, I'm like, oh, it's easier said than done, right? Very much so. Got on Instagram. Sure enough, this whole thing of meal prepping was this huge trend. Hashtag meal prep Sundays. You probably yeah. remember that one early oh, yeah. on. Sure. Um, so I, I, I started looking into this and then I went to Restaurant Depots right down the road. I bought plastic containers. I had two employees that had already approached me about wanting to make more money. And I said, the only way we can make more money is by increasing sales yeah. or doing outside ventures like catering. I tried catering, it wasn't for us, we didn't have it down, kitchen wasn't big enough. And so we came up with, I said, listen, I said, I've got this idea, I don't know how it's gonna go, but I have about 15, 20 people and I put it on social media, maybe get us more, and we start cooking for people, making meals for them. Yeah. So two Spanish guys, one of my best friends named Nick, he worked at the gym, and myself, we'd meet up there every Sunday morning. This started my early morning routine. Yeah. Five, six a.m., we'd meet up there, get the ovens going, Overtime was closed, and we'd start cooking food. Basic, yeah. as basic as you get. Chicken, Chicken rice, broccoli. rice, broccoli. Turkey, burger, mashed sweet potatoes, green beans. That's how we stayed, right? We started making the meals, and I all we were doing was putting it on Instagram and Facebook. Check this out. Snapchat was yeah. popular at the time. And uh, I knew I had something because when I would post about the bar, I'd post about the gym, I may get a few replies. When I started posting my meal prepping, my phone was blowing up. When you po what were you posting on? Your personal Instagram? Personal and business, both. What business? Um, uh, overtime. Overtime. Yeah. yeah. Overtime and gauntlet. So we were, we were cross-promoting that the meals All were there. All three of them. Okay. All three of them, yeah. And then that in turn, you know, uh, it's, it's a little bit more difficult now with social media. It's a lot sure. more, right? But you know, at the time, one of my trainers could post that I made her food, and she'd call me up and say, hey, I got two more for you, two more people. 
Okay. What I didn't realize was the very first day that we launched the meals, we took a, we had a beer cooler that we emptied out and we stuffed it with the meals. We made them in advance, put them in there, printed Avery label stickers, Avery.com, yeah. printed the stickers, put them on there and we put on the tables one through five, five items on the menu. Okay. My whole approach at the beginning was, I'm going to keep this simple. Yeah. Five items on the menu, five sauces. That's all I'll ever need. This is going to grow my restaurant. This right. is going to be the best thing that happened mm. over time. Okay. First lady walks in at 1101 from a Facebook post. I'm here to pick up this stuff, these overtime healthy meals. She looks at the menu. She says, I'll take seven. And you go, what? Seven? Why would anybody need seven meals? One for each day. One for each day. Yeah. I was thinking I was going to cook like the lady that we were getting it from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You thought Susie was going to come in there every, every day, day and pick up one meal, maybe two, lunch and dinner. Got it. My bar customers sitting there at night. Paul, let me see that, uh, you know, the neon board that you normally put dollar beer night. Ours would say Fit Five, well, move into Fit Five, but you know, just healthy meals available. And so they would, before they'd leave, they'd grab four or five. They'd grab their <laughs> dinners for the week. Ah! I want to start losing weight. I want to start eating right. Well, first you probably should drop the beer, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's what allowed me to see that there was a huge opportunity for this. I tell people this all the time. I told one of the guys in the room, there's got to be a proof of concept in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And it's very, very difficult to start something that you don't know that's going to work. Absolutely. Unless you're so heavily that- funded. Yeah. And then at that point, you got partners or at that point, you got tons of debt. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah. So, so I love, I love the story starting starting going. Yeah. My, my, I had an oven, you know, I had a yeah. three, four thousand oven. I had a 10 by 10 walk-in cooler and I had a staff That's and huge. I was able to go to and say, Hey guys, who wants to work this Sunday? So as it grew, we got to like 250 meals. And then I'd ask the server, what she, what she doing Sunday? She want to help us. All you're going to do is put broccoli in this container. That's it. That's it. Then I started, I started learning how to do macros and I started providing the macros for it. I was six, seven, eight, nine bucks a meal yeah. at the oh, time. I, I, remember, I remember when you started, because I was, we saw y'all, because we had been doing this for two or three years before this when we were in Tennessee and your meals were so inexpensive. And you thought, what were we doing? I was like, well, no, I thought, how's this freaking guy making any money? Two ways. One, we had the business, so rent was being paid by the other sure. business, right? So the only additional cost I had was the food and the staff. I had no increased insurance, no increased power bill, anything like that. Yeah. So my fixed costs were a lot different, sure. right? Um, that was the first thing. The second thing was the, the quick growth. We got to like a thousand meals a week within six weeks, eight weeks. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was like nothing I'd ever had. Like everything, every business I'd had prior, like I was grinding yeah. From morning, noon, and night. And but, this, every this business, just like, but every business you started, you had started from like zero. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why, you know, to me, like getting funded and stuff, I, I, like what you were saying earlier, like I love this idea of like, just try it out, you know, just, just mm. go see if it works first. So you're at the restaurant, Fit Five at this point is probably, is it, when does it get bigger than the restaurant? So meaning, we named meaning it. profit margin. Profit margin. Okay. So we named it uh, Fit Five because on 5 5 2017 was when it was official. Did not know that. Yeah. I love that. Five meals. Okay. Under 500 calories. Okay. And the day we did it, it was Cinco de Mayo. Me and my cousin Ferris, my cousin Chris, my cousin Fu, we're all hanging out in my house together. Of 17. On 5 5 17. That's perfect. So we just, I had no idea. Yeah. My cousin Ferris said it to me. 
Fit Five. We, we, we had the name Fit and then we just started going everywhere with it, you know? Yeah. And then it was Fit Five. So I make a social media post about how I'm going to start Fit Five and this, and this is my next thing that we're going to do here at Overtime. And uh, an old, uh, old friend of mine, uh, his name is Brock Warren. Yeah. You know, we always call ourselves, he, I'm Danny DeVito, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's like six, seven. Yeah. I can't stand walking around with the guy. Yeah. So he, he sees my post, he, he Facebook DMs me, he's like, call me now. Right. And if you know Brock, he's very demanding. I don't know Brock. Oh, man. I've heard of him for five years now. Yeah. I mean, he makes you look small. Yeah. And you're a big guy. Wow. So he calls me up and he says, listen, I'm already kind of doing this. I so Brock to- owns Elite, Elite Nutrition. Nutrition. Yeah. A little back job and right. He went to Homewood, went to Auburn. Uh, he's, he actually lived with some of my high school best friends in college. Oh. But he's a year above me. So Brock calls me up. I was in Michigan at the time and I, was, I wasn't engaged yet. I was dating my wife now. And Angel and I are at my family's and Brock texts me and says, you need to call me. We need to talk, right? And I, I leave my family and I'm like, I tell my wife, my wife now, I'm like, hey, Brock wants, Brock wants to chat. She's like, you're on vacation. Yeah. Can you not leave? That's how, that's how small business works. Give me a minute. Right? Yeah. I go outside, Brock says, listen, we need to do this. We need to do this together. It, Birmingham's not that big, so we need, it, we, you know, we need the partnership. And you have what I don't have. You have the kitchen experience. I have the nutrition experience. I own three nutrition stores. I have athletes, customers, I have good clientele coming in. You can literally just sell me the food. That's all you need to do. I can keep, you, I can keep your business alive. So we decided 50-50, Fit5 was made. Okay, go back. Do you have any partners in Fit5 at this point, or is it just you? It was just me and my restaurant. It was just me doing it out of my restaurant. I was by myself. Perfect. So the guys that own the restaurant with you weren't partners in Fit5. Weren't partners in Fit5. Good for you. Okay. So why did you think that you needed Brock? So Because you had made, this time, how many meals were you selling a week? Uh, I was getting I was getting close to a thousand. So you're selling a thousand meals a week. This is where I have a hard time with bringing in somebody. You're selling a thousand meals a week, and you're not doing a whole lot. You're posting on social media, and we already had the restaurant, so customers were already yeah. coming in. So we were just turning the tabletop around. Hey, this is what we have in our weekly specials. So why did you think you needed a partner? So uh, financial. There's a couple things. So financially, the company was in need of. We needed to scale. I was learning that very quickly. You, I wasn't going to get away with one oven and a, and a walk-in cooler. Okay. So I knew I needed more money. At the time, I had all my money was invested in what I had. I didn't just have cash. You didn't have cash. In. No. Okay. So that, that was the first thing, financials. If you know Brock, Brock is a straight shooter. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's a hell of a businessman. Um, he sold me in so many ways, you know, yeah. with the idea like, hey, I can, I can, get, I can take another 1,000 meals off your hand. But I'm only going to give you 1,000 meals if we partner, if we do this together. Mm. So my 1,000, his 1,000 meals, we're at two. We're, wow. we're making way. Yeah. So the, the next thing that Brock offered me was in Hoover at his Hoover location store in River Chase, right next to Planet Fitness. He said, there's a little space in the back of it. Because I was telling him that I was struggling doing with it out space. of With space. With space. You were doing everything on Sunday. We're doing everything on Sunday. Just like I used to. Just yep. like you used to. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I was literally stacking broccoli on top of kegs in the yep. walk-in cooler. Sure. That's how the space was fit. I'll never forget that I was having fights. Employees were fighting because... The sauce cooler would have Fit Five sauces that were made with coconut milk instead of buttermilk, right? And then it'd have the overtime sauce. And one day I came in and they got crisscrossed and I text the entire team and, you know, hey guys, this can't happen, right? And the team from overtime came back to me and says, well, that's your Fit Five team there, sir. 
and that's when I knew this place can't exist. And they can't it was, they were already button heads. Yeah. Okay. So not only was the space, we were taking the bar area up front, okay. putting all the tables together. And that's how we stretched the conveyor belt meal prep. Stations. That's how you assembly lined it. I had two, I, I had two pool tables and so I cover them with black tablecloth. Yeah. Right. So during NFL Sundays, this is crazy because when we were like really killing it in Cookville, you were doing it the same way. Well, we, we didn't have a restaurant. We had a, we can go to this later, but, we would take tables and put them all together and lay everything out in the middle of the <laughs> restaurant. This is the same thing we did. Oh, I, this I remember. Is nuts. We didn't learn about push carts. Oh my like, gosh. Like we were physically holding, yeah. you know, the food going across. So imagine yeah. you got girls working for you carrying 20 pounds of green beans. Like, yeah. please don't drop that. That's 80 bucks. I can't no afford doubt. it. You know, God, so I remember man. when we got push carts and we were like game changer. This is a, it this is, is going to, this is going to be what takes sure. us to the top. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're there. You, you partner with Brock. There's a space behind. There's a space inside of Elite that he was using for um, storage and for an apparel company he had. He said, it's about to come available. It's seven, 800 square feet. Bigger than the kitchen we were in. Bigger than the kitchen I started in. So I'm like, dude, you, you can get this to it? He goes, yeah. not only can I get it for us, I'll give it to us super cheap. And it'll operate out of the Elite and that'll be even easier. We start building that building. Okay? We start, the hood comes in. As this is all happening, we're now getting into the high thousands over here at Overtime. Nightmare. Part of my life I like, to, I like to forget about. Operating all that, the restaurant, the stereo shop, getting the gym off the ground. Shit, the stereo shop. Yeah, so all this is happening, right? So we sold the stereo shop. The, that industry was dying. Cars were coming built with all the stuff. Did so you make any money on, when you on the sale? When we sold it, I did, yeah. Okay. But what I, everything that I sold, something else came from it. So yeah. when I sold the restaurant, when I sold Appearance, I dumped it into Fit5. When I sold Overtime, I dumped it into the new gauntlet. Everything, I was taught that you never, that never stopped. Sure. Just like investing, right? Like yeah. you, you don't pull out of the market today and never put it back in something else. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so we start, you know, Brock says, okay, I have this building over here. So as we're building it, and this is growing over here, we realized the building that we were moving into, Hoover, wasn't big enough. Mm. Brock calls the landlord up. You realize, praise God, you realized it before. Before. The only thing that was in was a hood. Okay. The it's walk-in still expensive. Was, yeah. The walk-in was on its way. The walk-in was already there. It wasn't put up. Wow. And Brock calls the landlord and the landlord says, man, you know, you just signed this lease. I don't really know what I can do for you. Maybe if something becomes available for you in this big shopping center, we can make something work. So we make it happen. We're building it out. Walk-in cooler. 10-foot hood. So you continue to go forward the small we, space. Yeah, we oh, had to. Shit. We signed a lease. Everything's going in. Landlord comes up to him and says, you know what? Behind this wall, concrete blocks, he says, I have a warehouse back here. I use it for storage. I'll let you have, uh, I think at the time, I think he said, I'll let you have like 500 square feet of it. We're like, that's it. That's yeah. all we need. Yeah. Why would we ever need more than 500 square feet? <laughs> Knowing 500 square feet is now yeah. saying you worked out of a 400. Yeah, you're sure. Like, what, why, yeah. why would you even do that? So we we moved to the we opened up that back door, busted through the wall, literally. We, yeah. I mean, busted. We had some Spanish guys come that worked for us and plaster this wall down. Wow. Okay. We put the walking cooler in the back, a big one. <laughs> Brock. Yeah. I promise you, me being the food guy and owning a restaurant, that's all we need. This 10 by 12 cooler will change the game yeah. for us. We build out the back space. That was our dry storage. Okay. Okay. And then you had the walk-in, and then that was the kitchen. Walk through the front. So you've got 1,300 square feet. We have 1,300 square feet at this point. Here we are today, 2023. We have 10,000 square feet. Where? Where? Okay. So you. This is a long road. Where are you? Where's your kitchen now? 
My kitchen now is still in that position in Hoover. You've just kept. We just kept going. Mm-hmm. Year over year, the landlord, he never wanted to give us the whole thing because he needed it for storage. We'd call him up and say, well, I need another thousand feet. Or we got to go. We, we have no choice. We've outgrown this. We started looking at buying buildings around town. The problem with that, you know, the boom of like downtown, the problem mm-hmm. with that was like none of them had a restaurant. So, okay, we buy this building, get us a great deal on a building, but we need yeah, half been, a million dollars for, for yeah, a restaurant. Two or $300,000 to build out. Minimum. On the low end. On the low end, yeah. So, you know, at this point, we've had multiple walk-in coolers, right? So, so anyway, so yeah, so one by one, we took down a wall and we, got, we went. We went from 1,300 to 23 to four to seven to during COVID 2022, we said, Give us all time's things. up. Give us all thing. Okay, go back to COVID. So, Ooh, you want to really? See, we... <laughs> Your meal, did your meal prep business go down? First couple months, and then it, and then it went right back up. See, we, the, we, that was the catapult, a big, big part of it. During then, COVID. During COVID. Yeah. What At happened? The beginning there? of it was not fun. What happened? What happened there? So, <laughs> what catapulted you guys? So, what catapulted us was that restaurants, people, everybody was gearing towards. We were getting a lot of catering phone calls of like nurses, doctors saying, "Hey, I need you to provide food. I have five conditions." The meal needs to be refrigerated. Mm-hmm. I don't want hot food. Easy. Easy. We already do that. Yeah. I need the meal to be in containers. Easy. Two. I already do that. Sweet. I need the meals to be delivered. Guess mm-hmm. what? We have refrigerated trucks. You did then, yeah. Yeah, we did then. Yeah, okay. we, had, we had our first one. Okay. No problem. Right? Number four, nurses prefer to eat healthier. Great. I got you covered, boss. Yeah. So there was things like uh, Lindsay Lutz, if you know Lindsay, yeah. Life Flood Source. Lindsay reached out and says, hey, I'm, I'm raising money. I remember this. Yeah. yeah. And she says, I, I, I've raised money and, and we need food. So we, 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 we saw that opportunity and multiple people started calling us with that same issue. An insurance agent whose insurance wasn't losing any money at that mm-hmm. time. You know, they were still collecting. So I had insurance agents call us like, hey, you know, I've got a group of 50 I want to help out. Can you yeah. cook their meals for them? So that's kind of what, that's what kept us going, right? Mm. It was paying the bills. Because the gyms were shut down. The gyms were shut down. So our model was built off of dropping them off at a gym. Us too. We weren't doing, we weren't doing home delivery at the time. See, in Tennessee, we started doing home delivery. But when I moved here, I realized, I, I knew that was not, I, I couldn't do that in Birmingham. Like it, it wasn't. It wasn't for what It wasn't going. a viable option for us. Like it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Like, home delivery cost us about 200K. It does. Jobs to launch it. Y'all are doing home delivery now. We do home delivery now, yeah. We had to buy multiple refrigerated trucks, mm-hmm. other vehicles yeah. to be able to drive. We had to staff yeah. to home deliver, um, packaging, sure. all, all that changed. So it costs about 200 grand in the long run. So I remember, after, okay, so let's go back to this. After COVID, that kind of, what, what there? So you start home delivery. Yep. You've got refrigerated trucks. Where are you at right? So this is a transition from COVID. So from COVID to now, where where's the business at? You got ten thousand square feet. Your kitchen's larger than mine. Like where where do you where are you at right now with Fit Five? So Fit Five now we do about twenty five thousand meals a month. Wow. We deliver them all across the state of Alabama. So we go Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, Montgomery, uh, all the way down to Auburn, Columbus, Georgia. Wow. Uh, next move for Fit Five. Um, expansion on the home delivery. So we just currently do central Birmingham, but we, we you know, we want to go out with home delivery. Possible shipping, maybe. That one's tough because you got to go frozen and we want to stay fresh. Yeah. Um, I'd say next up would be either we make our way towards Nashville, we make our way towards Atlanta and just start excreting out. Hell City, Gadsden, Aniston. Moving, moving one way or the other. Because you're already in Huntsville. We're already in Huntsville. What was the biggest challenge as far as the uh, moving to other markets? So the biggest challenge in general was I never had a business this big. Hmm. So like 
being able to pull the trigger on the scale of this, right? So everything though, but every, uh, the hub is here in Birmingham. So you don't have a kitchen in Huntsville. You don't have a kitchen in any of those other places. That's our secret. Everything's right? is, well, yeah. That's the secret to meal prepping versus sure. restaurants. Yeah. To catering. Well, it's like I tell people all the time, I don't want to own a restaurant because everything that I do, I've already got money. Paid for it in advance. Paid for it in advance. You get paid for it in advance uh, and then you don't see the customer. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about front house. I'm back house only. I, you I'm know what, I never thought of that, but that's a great, you yeah. You don't have to worry about, worst case scenario, five people don't show up today, Yeah. right? It's just get the food done. It's just harem, it's just harem scarum at, the, at that point. That's it. So in your culture, work is extremely important, but so is family. So you're kind of getting, you, know, you made the mention earlier about being a little bit ostracized by not being 26, 27 years old and not being married. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you've worked your face off all these years, extreme amount of success. Now you're married. Now you've got two kids. So I remember the journey of like you having the first one. I remember yeah. because I was really good friends with Ari and you and I touched base a little bit. And then now you've got two. Talk to me about the little difference in lifestyle from just being married to now married the largest business I've ever owned and two kids. How does that work? So the first change was schedule. So I started getting up at 3.30 in the morning. Yep. Started getting my work day done by 10 a.m. Okay. Every day, Monday through Friday. Um, that was the that was that was what I had to do. Sure. My, I was getting nowhere. I wasn't checking boxes off. I wasn't getting any of my task sheet done. Yeah. Because my I did not understand how much time kids took. Oh yeah. I'd been on my own my whole life. I lived with my grandmother, and then I had my own yeah. place. I hadn't lived at home in years. I had no idea what kids do, and so uh, I changed my schedule up. Started getting up earlier, getting everything done. Um, I come home, my whole day other than being by my phone is done by about 10 30 11 o'clock and i spend my afternoon with my kid so you go home you're home at lunchtime every day every day monday through friday so how many employees do you have right now uh fit five has 22 gauntlet has five elite brock and them have five um and then we have the real estate company schnarr development so from a real estate what are you doing uh so over over the years we'll do that later Okay. okay so so the, with the kids, you got a two-year-old and a 13-week-old. Yeah. Um, what is the most fun thing that you do, the best, your go-to activity with your two-year-old? Well, my two-year-old? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, he's gotten into swimming. Okay. So getting in the pool. Um, he, we got a little inflatable bounce house, like the ones that Sam's has. Yeah. So you remember when we were growing up, an inflatable was like a, a big deal. Big yeah. deal. And now they sell them at Walmart. So, yeah. so, so we got a little inflatable. I, I love getting inside that thing with them. I love taking them to these little cool. trampoline parks. So yeah. y'all have got one that you can just go at, at, Yeah, at just a little one, probably the size of the stage. But I love taking them. There's a place called Altitude and Pelham. It has a little toddler section. Yeah. And it has the adult side of the trampoline park. And I'm 5'5". Five five, yeah. So like I, I literally go up and think. Go and everything. Yeah. He so, thinks it's the biggest. He thinks it's, it's cool. the best thing ever. So yeah. talk to me about your wife. How does your wife, what's you and your wife's relationship like as far as from the business standpoint? And like, what does she do for a living? What does she okay. do for a living? So she's a clinical therapist. She sees children with OCD and anxiety. Okay. So she does that. So she works a 40 hour week. No, not anymore. No. Okay. What does she do now? So she does, but she still works that. She just doesn't work that many hours anymore. So she was at UAB. Okay. Um, and then she, we found a firm out of Auburn. So a practice where the lady was just because of telehealth. Yeah. So now she sees patients via telehealth upstairs in our office. At it's home. your house. At home. 
she does about 15 to 20 or 20 patients a week. That's incredible. She love it. Oh yeah. I love it. How so, involved, cause I get this question all the time. How involved is your wife in any of the businesses that you guys do? Very little. Me too. Does she understand any of it? My uncle Freddie, my uncle Fuad Shannara, um, he taught me one of the very first conversations he had with me before I was even dating. He said, let your family be your family, let your business be your business. Mm. And you'll never separate the two if you come home and give it all to your wife, right? So That's if I awesome. come home and I complain to her about how Thomas was at work today, how Brock did this to me, how my employee did that one, you're giving your wife a perception of your employees, which I don't want them having. I want them to see, I want my wife to see my employees and my team as family mm. and as a team. So I never wanted to, I wanted her to build her own understanding of how they work. Yeah. So I tried not to go home and complain about them. That's great. Um, the other thing was my wife didn't come from like the small business world. So like so many things when we first met, like, like, why are you picking up your phone at eight o'clock? Why are you staring at your Instagram messages? Can't you pay people to do that? Yeah. So that was the stuff that like we had to, that was the humps we had to get over. She went to U of M, graduated multiple degrees, right. super smart, super sweet, super genuine. I saw her from 25 feet away at a conference in New York and messaged her. That's incredible. See, my wife is not involved at all and I think, but she has her own deal, just like your wife. My wife's a, a volleyball coach. And like, she does that. She does that. I will ask her, because I think that women need to process and get things out. So I'll ask her and say, tell me about this. Tell me. But, and it doesn't bother me that she doesn't do this, but she does very rarely ask about meal fit, table and time, any of the things that we- She doesn't say, how's it going? She does, but it's very- To an extent. She's doing it, and, and she hears me say this, she'll, she'll hate it, but she checks the box as far as just checking in with me. But she really doesn't want to know the nitty gritty details of the fact that this went wrong or this went great or we made lots of money doing here or that. She doesn't care. And it's fine that she doesn't care because for her, getting in the weeds of that, it, it's not going to make anything better or anything worse. So she doesn't really want to get involved and doesn't want to know and understand. And I really, because when I get home, bro. You don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. Because I, it just it just rises up. Yeah, well, and I, here's what I've done the, a better job of the last two years, which you sounds like you're doing a great job at it now. I don't. I get up at that time, but the first part of my day is on just me, and then I get home. You're reading, the, reading, meditation, exercising, exercising, all that good stuff, and then I get home at between three and four, four thirty, whatever. I don't really work after that. I hate working at home. I don't want to do it because I don't want to see my kids to see that all daddy does when he's at home is work. And so I try. Yeah, that was my grow up. Yeah. Was watching our dad's work yeah. till nine, 10 o'clock at night. So I, didn't I, I didn't want to do that. So, um, hey, this has been un unbelievable. I, and I think that we need to do another one to kind of go deeper into the business stuff because there's real estate stuff I want to talk about. Yeah. There's more of the business stuff that I want to talk about and just all those different things. So um, before we leave, where can people find you? What's the best way to get with you, whether it be on the gym, Fit Five, real estate stuff. What's the best way to find you? Instagram is probably the most popular thing that I'm on. Um, Bullis P. Shinara. Spell on Instagram. B O U L O S. <laughs> so that's my real name. Yeah. I go by Paul. I did not know that. Yeah, my yeah. real name's Bullis. Yeah. Uh, I started going by Paul because of business. It was easier years ago. Yeah. Um, then you got, uh, you can find at Fit Five Meals yep. at Gauntlet Fitness, our website, fit5meals.com, gauntletfitness.com. Uh, Shinara Development is not, you know, on a, on yeah. a social level, it's a back house thing that we do in our family with development property and 
so forth. Exactly what we want to talk about the next time we're here. So, hey, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank yes, you. Sir. All right.